Welcome to the Doctors In Podcast, where we talk about health topics with healthcare students and the relevance to all of us. We are Ben Martin and Nathan Seberg. We are second year students of physical therapy at the University of Iowa. We created this podcast to provide free information on well-being, health, and highlight many of the resources available to students at the University of Iowa. Today our guest is Vijay Kamalampundi, a second year medical student at the University of Iowa. We'll be talking with Vijay about different types of seizures, the biology behind them, and what to do if you see someone undergoing a seizure. Welcome. Yeah, thanks for having us, Ben. Yeah, thanks, Ben. First, why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit about the article you wrote? Yeah, so the article we wrote was really all centered around seizures. What is a seizure? How do we recognize uh, when we see someone having a seizure? What Are they having a seizure or not? And then the steps we need to take uh, as bystanders uh, to, you know, uh, getting them safe and all of that. And also, uh, when to, most importantly, when to call 911 for patients who we think should not be having a seizure. Um, first of all, no one needs to be having a seizure, but when is it an emergent need to call 911? Awesome. Can you start by telling us a little bit about the prevalence of um, seizures? So tell me a little bit about, like, are they very rare or are they, you know, really common? Like, do we just not know how common they are? And then tell me a little bit about um, kind of some demographics. So do they occur equally in young and old? And um, do you have to have epilepsy to have a seizure? Yeah, so I can take that question. Um, a lot of the data that we like to look at is from the CDC. Uh, if you look at back at from 2015, um, there's about 3 million adults that had epilepsy um, and about 470,000 children. So it is more prominent within the adult population. Um, as far as to whether or not you have to have um, epilepsy to consider having seizures, um, that's not necessarily true. Um, yes, you can have the diagnosis of epilepsy, which is uh, the occurrence of two or more seizures within a time period of about 24 hours um, that would lead to a diagnosis of epilepsy. Um, however, there are other instances such as medications that could impact um, seizure thresholds, um, environments in general, stress levels. Those are all sort of things that can induce uh, seizure-like behavior or activity. So a lot of people kind of have this idea of seizures of just, you know, someone rolling on the ground, like their eyes going back in their head. Personally, my, and when I was in college, we were traveling on a bus, going to NIU. This kid walks up in the middle row of the bus and just has a seizure right in front of me. So that's like drilled in my head when I think of seizures. And just all over the world, um, we just see these pictures in movies and stuff. Can you just tell us what a seizure can look like across the board? Um, just the spectrum of presentations. Yeah, that's a good question. And, um, you know, it's a good framework to have as someone flopping on the ground, I guess, um, just coming into it. Um, but yeah, it's seizures are a lot more complicated um, than we think. And I didn't, you know, know this until actually starting medical school that seizures can present in a lot of ways. Um, and, you know, we don't have to go into like the really the specifics of it. Um, but generally, there are two types of seizures. There's focal and generalized. Um, and focal is pretty much starting in one part of the brain, whereas generalized is what you're describing, which is also called grand mal seizures. You're, it starts in one part of the brain and actually like spreads around the brain. So you have these um, you know, presentations like someone's flopping on the ground. You see tonic seizures. Um, there's a, there's a you know, wide variety of like childhood uh, seizures that can present, but really um, when it boils down to it, 
people may or may not know that they're having a seizure and both are valid you know you can some people know who have had a previous history of seizures they they'll tell you like um you know i'm having they may not tell you i'm having a seizure but you know they may or may not know that they're having one um so things you could look for are like twitching uh you know facial movements clicking with their mouths uh any kind of twitching in the hands that isn't normal for them um yeah so they're just those are just uh certain things to look for that's a great overview of um, that there's different types of seizures, such as like focal and generalized. Can you tell us a little bit about some of the biology that underlies those seizures? Yeah, so um, as you guys know, the brain's a very complex organ. Um, it controls virtually every aspect of human life. Um, so it controls things such as like your breathing, your heart rate, memory, uh, judgment, overall motor coordination. Um, the brain's a really, really intricate process. And um, when you think about it with seizure activity, to kind of sum it down, um, really to think about it is that you have all these neurons within the brain. And really when there's a hyper excitable state within the brain, that's what ultimately can induce seizures. Um, so when there's technically too much activity going on, um, patients can or individuals can experience some sort of seizure-like activity. Um, like I said, there's a lot of things that can also induce that as well. So yeah, talk me talk me through that one. Are there any kind of ingested substances or what kind of medical conditions would make me more prone to having a seizure? Yeah, so there are a lot of different things that can cause seizures. So uh, Riley uh, can talk a little bit about what epilepsy is, uh, and then I can go into more about like you know seizures that are outside of the epilepsy diagnosis. Yeah, so I think we kind of mentioned it briefly a little bit ago, but just to reiterate, um, epilepsy, to have a diagnosis of, of that condition, uh, is technically having two seizures or more within a span of about 24 hours. Um, yeah, and so, <clears throat> and like, yes, we've touched on this before, you can have seizures without that diagnosis of epilepsy. Um, so if you have someone that hasn't had a previous history of, of seizures have a seizure, then there's a couple things we need to think about. Anything that's really impacting the brain, whether that's an anatomical thing, you know, something pushing on the brain, such as like a tumor, uh, or like brain irritation, such as like electrolyte abnormalities, you know, low sodium, low potassium, um, you know, ingestion of kind of toxic substances, like, uh, you know, drugs that Riley's talked about. Um, so all of these things can contribute to someone having a seizure. Nice. Can, um, I know you both have a pretty good background on, on pharmacy, especially you, Riley. Can you talk about some drugs that are used to combat seizures? Yeah, so I mean, there really there's a large variety of drugs that um, can be used. You can have drugs such as Levitris, Tamarcapra, you can have um, Phenytoin, uh, uh, Lamotrigine or Lamictal. There's a lot of drugs out there that we have um, that we're able to utilize for these uh, conditions. Um, and really the overall Ask, or the things we think about with these medications that um, previously we talked about the hyper excitable states uh, that, that can ultimately induce these seizure-like activity. Um, so really these medications kind of help kind of tone down that activity uh, in order to get a state where we can um, hopefully have some maintenance uh, and, and provide these patients with uh, less seizures over the course of time um, and hopefully reduce that activity. So after recognizing um, that someone has a seizure, can you talk a little bit about some do's and don'ts for providing help? I know um, I've heard, and I don't know if it's true or not, that some people um, can swallow their tongue while having a seizure, and I don't know if that's true or not. Um, and a lot of people are worried about um, really what's the right thing to do, like do you hold someone down, do you get help immediately? Um, I think a lot of people, this is a, a big question they have. 
Yeah, so really there's a lot of misconceptions, I think, with seizures and how to handle them uh, appropriately, especially if you don't have the necessary medical training um, about medications and things like that. What can people do on campus if they recognize someone that may be having a seizure? Um, so kind of going back to that um, uh, swallowing in your swallowing your tongue phenomenon kind of thing, um, that's a large misconception that uh, people have. Um, and we'll talk about some ways to kind of combat that misconception with some of the things that you should do and not do. Um, so first off, you kind of have to assess the safety um, of the person in the environment that they're in. Um, so if they're in a street or somewhere they can be injured, make sure you're um, getting them to some sort of safety um, or area that is safe. Uh, make sure you're turning the person onto their side to help them breathe. Um, and a large, um, or a thing I do want to address with that is kind of going back to that um, swallowing your tongue uh, misconception. So you can't really swallow your tongue. However, if the person is laying on their back, um, that the tongue is technically blocking their airway, so they might not be able to breathe and get oxygen to their brain. Um, so it is important to lay them on their side um, and that tongue is not gonna be in the way. Um, so the person's gonna be able to help them breathe better. Also, if they have some sort of nausea component or vomiting, um, that's also gonna prevent that, uh, prevent aspiration risk as well. Um, when you do turn them on their side, make sure you're putting something soft under their head um, just to protect them from causing any damage um, to their skull. Uh, if they have any sort of tight clothing around their neck, so it could be like ties, um, eyeglasses, anything that might be harmful or could cause some oxygen, um, make sure you're removing that. And then also you're going to make sure to time the seizures because it is something that you're going to want to measure. If it's over five minutes, you definitely want to give a call to the EMS or 911. Um, I guess just in general, if you notice someone that is laying on the ground, it doesn't hurt just to be safe just to call 911 in, in the first place. Um, and then kind of going back to what not to do in these situations, uh, it's important not to hold the person down. Um, make sure you're not getting CPR as they usually start to breathe again on their own. And then um, make sure you're not offering food or water until they are fully awake. Once again, that could be a choking hazard um, and possible aspiration risk. So yeah, going off, you talked about if it goes on for five minutes or more, um, obviously if they have a bracelet, <clears throat> a medical bracelet that says they have epilepsy, that'd be something we can note. Um, but traditionally, a lot of people would just do what you talked about and call 911 when they see someone down. Although in the article, you did kind of talk about that it's not always a medical emergency when someone's having a seizure. So are there other instances besides like that five minute rule when we might want to uh, contact 911 and bring in emergency providers? Yeah. <clears throat> so this is where it's important to assess kind of the environment around what where this is happening. So if you notice that someone, you know, is, is if this is happening in the water, uh, it's always I think I would just make that a clear rule that at you should call 911 in that case. Uh, they're at significantly increased risk for aspirating water, and that comes with a whole host of problems that we need to only you know uh, healthcare providers uh, should deal with. Um, if uh, if you notice that you know this doesn't apply for if you just notice someone having a seizure in one occasion, you're kind of looking at cross sectionally. But if you notice them having back to back to back seizures, uh, for example, people with meningitis can have have this. Um, that's another uh, indication to call 911. Um, anyone that's pregnant, um, if you know them and they have diabetes, heart disease, I know again, you may not know these things, um, call 911. Generally, uh, I think it might, it might even be a good idea. If you don't know the person, you find them down, it's not a bad idea to call EMS uh, just to get them down there. It, do it definitely doesn't hurt um, and, and it's always good to give them uh, emergency uh, medical attention. Mm -hmm. And I think I want to add on to something to that too. So. Um you know, all of us on campus, we're going to have our own individual friend groups. And I think for as close as that we can um, come with one another, I think it's also important to understand what kind of medical diagnoses that each of us have. 
uh, what medications that each of us are on. So things like antidepressants can also induce seizure-like activity or at least put uh, patients at a higher risk of developing seizures. So that could be things such as um, bupropion or Wellbutrin, um, pain medications like tramadol. Um, it's not a medication we like to use very often, but if a patient is on that or if one of our friends is on that, um, definitely can increase the risk of seizure-like activity. Uh, and then also, if you're drinking on top of those medications at Iowa, one of these big uh, <laughs> yeah. universities on campus, um, you know, it's, it's one of those things in, in the culture that if you are drinking, the, these individuals are on these medications, um, that can also exacerbate the risk of having these seizure-like activities. Great. So we've gone over a lot of great stuff today over like the biology, the different types of seizures, medications, and what to do. But uh, there's a lot for people to keep track of and a lot to, to think about critically in the moment. And in your article, you list a really great resource on um, getting training and first aid and training on recognition of seizures. Could you talk a little bit about that resource and how people can find it? Yeah. So the, 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 uh, the resource that we talked about in our, in our article is actually called the Epilepsy Foundation. And they have a lot of great resources available, not just to healthcare providers and clinicians, but also to those individuals that, um, those individuals are family members that might have a loved one that has some sort of epilepsy um, condition. Uh, they like I said, they provide a lot of resources for uh, recognition, um, how to deal uh, with the safety aspect of trying to make sure that the patient or their loved one is safe in uh, certain environments. Um, but they do a lot of different things too, such as first aid trainings that are free actually to each and every single one of us. Um, actually, I'm just looking at their site and over 600,000 people have been trained in seizure recognition and first aid training uh, strictly through the Epilepsy Foundation. Wow. Uh, so it's a great resource. It's something that we can all do whenever we get a free chance to take a look at it. Um, they do a lot of great work with research, especially, in, and they do raise monetary donations, uh, which they've actually raised over $68 million so far. So um, for those individuals that are, those 3.4 million people that are living with epilepsy nationwide, it's such a great uh, foundation to have on hand here in the United States. Um, and there's, there's such, a, such a great need for continued education within this topic as well. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, so many of us healthcare providers are all CPR trained and right. I hadn't even really thought about, you know, so if someone had epilepsy in front of me, what I would do. So yeah. Think about. Yeah. So <clears throat> talk me through one take home message from all of your article, boil it down for me. Boil this. Oh, that's a lot of pressure already. <laughs> um, so I think the big thing with this article, um, we talked about you know how to recognize if someone's having a seizure so uh, any kind of twitching motions that are irregular for the person um, any kind of behavior that's like not normal for the person um, you know kind of recognize that this this might be a seizure uh, happening and taking place know when to uh, seek help call 911 so if in water uh, if the patient has other comorbidities like if they're uh, if they have diabetes heart disease um, and, and if you see that the seizure is happening for more than five minutes um, and immediate steps that you can take, um, and that's like the biggest part of our article, is steps that people who don't have medical training can take to keep, uh, you know, our, our, you know, our people safe, uh, especially people who have seizures. So, um, you know, rolling them over to, the, to their side if you can, uh, putting a pillow underneath them, and most importantly, when to call help. So. We have one last question uh, for you, and that is uh, one that we just introduced last week, so um, you haven't heard it yet. So you ready? I'm ready. Um, which dystopia do you think you would survive the best in? Hunger Games? Uh, what did we say? Mad Max, Fury Road, uh, or The Walking Dead? 
Huh. You need to provide, provide a rationale. You can't just... Have you seen all these? Yeah, I already know my answer. You got yours. <laughs> all right, Riley goes first. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so I'm not a fighter, but I'd say the Hunger Games, strictly because I'm going to learn how to uh, camouflage, and I'm nice. small enough. I'm only like five foot six, five foot seven. I can get in those small places and hide. So uh, you know what? I'm gonna say my odds are uh, pretty good at surviving the Hunger Games. I like it. I like it. I know. I'm gonna die in all of them. I, yeah, <laughs> that's what I was gonna say. I'll probably die in all of them. Hey man, I have medical training. Um, you know, I'm gonna say The Walking Dead. I have a deep hatred for zombies, and I love zombie movies. Um, so, yeah, I'm not making a case for myself here. You just well, had the most fun in The Walking Dead. Yeah, I'll just say, I mean, I might be the first one to die, but, um, you know, I guess that wasn't the question either. It's like, which one you'd survive the most? Whatever. I'd put me on you die. I'll go, I'll go with The Walking Dead. That's fine. All right, thank you so much for coming on the podcast this week, and uh, this is actually our last episode of the semester so you're gonna wrap it up for us so thanks again all right well thanks for yeah. having us and, and continue all the great work that you two are doing um with this podcast yep.